This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus Chat, AMD, Getting the Help You Need. If you've been on a chat before, welcome back. And if this is your first chat, thank you very much for, for joining us. So uh, today's guest is Dr. Ranju Prasad. She's an ophthalmologist at the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center in Philadelphia. She provides uh, a lot of vision therapy and helps uh, helps with uh, support groups and other things that, that help people gain more independence while living with with low vision. So, Dr. Prasad, uh, welcome. I know we've had you here a few times over the years, and just really appreciate uh, your sharing what you do. So, let's start off and uh, tell us about yourself. Thank you, Michael. Um, thank you for having me once again. I just wanted to um, also let everyone know that I'm actually an optometrist and not an ophthalmologist. Um, so, yeah, so I am currently the director of the Penn Center for Low Vision Rehabilitation at the Shea Eye Institute um, here in Philadelphia, and I've been in practice for over 22 years, and I work with uh, a wide demographic of patients and diseases and try to help them become more functional. Well, great. Now, kind of the, the career day question, how did yeah. you how did you end up doing this? So I always knew that I wanted to be in the health profession and uh, knew that sight was the mo most important sense and, and uh, basically wanted to help people see and keep their vision. But I found that uh, working with the blind and visually impaired uh, to be particularly, re particularly rewarding when I was a fourth-year um, student and, ten and decided to choose that route through specialized training. Well, great. And so what do you, uh, yeah, in, in your, I know you have several different uh, yeah. roles that you have at, at, at the University of Pennsylvania Medical mm -hmm. System. Um, want to tell us a little bit about um, you know, occupational therapy or, re, or vision therapy, you know, the type of work that you do and others yeah. do? So uh, basically my job is to help those with vision loss gain independence and um, ultimately have a better quality of life. But uh, through their examination and prescribing of special optical and non-optical devices, glasses, and I also refer uh, training with occupational and rehabilitation uh, therapists. Um, I also uh, refer to resources like such as state agencies, um, local agencies for the blind and visually impaired, so the individuals can get more help. Now, um, an occupational therapist and, re um, and a rehabilitation therapist, basically their goal is to provide, to improve somebody's function um, and by addressing particular goals. So, for example, they provide the device training. So if I were to see somebody and they required a magnifier or a telescope, they would go ahead and um, help them help them with it, train them. And they also provide adaptive techniques, mod, uh, home environment, environmental modifications as well. Now, vision therapy is a little bit different. It's basically training of the eyes. Uh, for example, in the case where they do not work together, um, when one eye moves you know, in and out. Um, also, if uh, people need help uh, following targets, which is called tracking, um, and also to help people scan or look in a particular way. Great, and and you know we'll we'll get into a lot of the details over the next half hour or so. But I wonder if you kind of give us a big picture sense of what are some of the major challenges facing people with the diseases like macular degeneration. Oh gosh, um, well the most well one of the studies I could say um, show show that people with vision loss such as macular degeneration, their the hardest thing that they um, have the hardest thing for them to do is to read. 
So reading is one of the most challenging things, like reading the newspaper, reading their mail. Um, other things are, um, you know, doing things around the kitchen, preparing meals. Um, basically, being independent is um, challenging for them. Uh, there's a sense of isolation as well. Um, there, the fear of going blind, uh, you know. In, in addition, um, they require additional support too. So there's always that fear of not having the support that they need, um, staying connected, uh, staying social, getting help, um, and getting the help that they need. Great. No, I appreciate sort of giving that big picture perspective. And yeah. Dr. Prasad, I think this is a really well-timed discussion that we're having today. Um, you know, in, in addition to the to the pandemic, um, it's getting dark early uh, here in the the Northeast Mid Atlantic. I feel like it's been been raining a lot, so you know it, it's getting harder. And then a lot of us are starting to think about the holidays, and and um, that means so many so many different parts of the holidays. But you know, a lot of people just don't know what they're going to do um, th this year for the holidays. So I guess sort of big picture with all these kind of challenges. Um, how do people ask for help? I know a lot of us come from family backgrounds where we were really brought up to be independent and, and resilient. And how do you reconcile, you know, that part of American culture that's kind of doesn't like to ask for help with a lot of those challenges that you mentioned a minute ago? Um, well, what I've found in my experience, my experience is that, you know, my patients will not will not ask their loved ones for help, but they will come to me and tell me that they require help. So I kind of help them through that. Um, I help, you know, kind of th them go through the thoughts and emotions and basically kind of say that it's okay to ask for help. And typically, you know, um, asking your, the, your closest loved one first and just say, listen, I'm having problems doing this or uh, I have problems um, you know, getting out, et cetera. So it's kind of like reconciling and just saying, it's, it's acknowledging that it's okay that I need help. And otherwise, what's the alternative? Staying isolated. And a lot of the times people um, who are your loved ones will not know what you need until you actually say something. Yeah, that, that that's great advice. And yeah. I think that really brings up the holiday gatherings and everything um, really well. I mean, a lot of people, particularly, you know, uh, the grandparents in in a inter, intergenerational family think of themselves as, as the ones who want to host uh, a, a Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's meal. They want to be the yeah. ones that do the that do the shopping and the you know go out and buy the gifts and wrap them and mail them. And a lot of those things are are, are tough um, because of vision loss. I mean, how do you you know it's any any advice for I was essentially letting go, but but sort of again that kind of balance of the the role that you've always served in the family is kind of that organizer, the the cook and the host and the the shopper and how to, you know it's got to be real hard with low vision. It is, it is, and especially with um, the present time too with COVID. So you're not able to be social and out and about and invite people in like you used to. Um, one of the things you know that you've everybody probably has heard about is everybody having people having zoom meetings, um, FaceTime video chats. And, uh, for example, we have a, um, a, a low vision support group and our facilita facilitator had her first Passover, uh, gathering virtually or her first holiday gathering virtually where it was just her and her family. And then they had, um, everybody else around joining them. And what they realized was how wonderful it was to have that, 
even though it wasn't in person, but they knew that they could do this more often too. So if, so going, um, so for example, if you are one who's constantly the organizer, who's always been the organizer, you know, you can still be the organizer. You can still plan a menu and um, have everybody make the same menu, but then um, sit around the, you know, sit around um, a virtual dinner. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's going to be a tough, a big, a big change. But yeah, I think, I think those are great tips to sort of. Yeah. Find new ways of keeping mm-hmm. keeping traditions, and in terms of the uh, the reduced light, um, which I think will only get worse when we switch time, switch the clocks in a, in a week or two, it makes the ho- people's houses get a lot darker. There's obviously less outside light, which gets into safety around the house. So any mm-hmm. any tips for our listeners about how to stay safe around the house, particularly as a as the day daylight goes shorter? Yeah, first and foremost, make sure you have good light in your environment, and um, if you need help um, with the lighting, you can always contact, you know, an electrician or you can go to any of the large um, stores like Home Depot or Lowe's where you can ask the, the workers there to help you pick out the, the proper lights or how to organize things as well. Um, occupational therapists can help. The other thing, too, is um, make sure you're, you don't have curtains that are on the floor level. Uh, make sure your home is clutter free, clutter free, excuse me. The other thing also is, um, you know, your walkways, like for example, if you have hardwood floors or if you have, um, you know, ceramic floors, uh, be careful with the area rugs because those are trip hazards as well. So um, basically keeping clutter free, keep the house clutter free um, and having good lighting. The other thing too is look at your tables, um, to make, you know, try to see if you're, um, coffee tables or your kitchen tables have rounded corners instead of like the sharp corners too. Cause that, that's hard to see. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's yeah. great advice. And in terms of, you know, asking for help, a lot of people just, just don't know, know where to turn. So are there national organizations or local groups, um, you, you know, that, that, that could help provide, um, you know, a lot of these day-to-day services, the meals, the transportation, the, um, you know, the things like that. Yes. So every state has a state agency for the blind and visually impaired, uh, and they have um, county divisions, county chapters of it. They also, um, there are also local agencies as well. Like, for example, here in Philadelphia, our state agency is Blindness and Visual Services, Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services. And in um, and locally in Philadelphia, there's another nonprofit agency called Associated Services for the Blind. Um, so they're local. But there's also state agencies, or I'm sorry, federal, or national agencies such as um, the National Federation for the Blind, uh, American Foundation for the Blind as well. And those um, resources are accessible through the internet. And within those websites, they have chapters and um, resources that are, connect, that are locally too, local or statewide, I should say. So once you once you get connected to those, then you can um, you can find the uh, state and local resources as well. Um, you can also reach out to the local Lions clubs. Um, the Lions clubs international mission is prevention of blindness and preservation of sight. So they're also a good resource um, in New York City. There's the Lighthouse Guild, which is nationally known, and then also in the state um, in the county, there's divisions of senior services too. Um, so they have. A tremendous number of resources that way. Well, great. 
Um, any, uh, you know, we've just got a question from a listener about the holidays. Um, any ideas for, um, you know, how people could not do shopping or do some of the, some of the, uh, the, you know, kind of the, the shipping of gifts, any, any suggestions to how to make that a little easier or safer? Yeah, actually, um, I find that shopping online is fantastic. You know, Amazon's great. All, all the stores are um, have online shopping. I know it may be harder to see, but connecting with, like, um, you know, another loved one, a friend who can help you with the shopping um, or with accessing it online would be great. Um, even, you know, con- connecting with, um, you know, local volunteer organizations as well. A lot of people's religious organizations have volunteers who can help out. So instead of shopping in person, I think it would be great. You know, shopping online is a great option. That's great. And, and again, yeah, I think it, it kind of reinforces your your point, your core yeah. point of asking yeah. for help. And then maybe there's, uh, you know, people in your community or in your mm-hmm. family um, that that want to help but just, just don't know that you, you need yeah. it. And so um, if all this isn't enough, we're also in the middle of a pandemic. That uh, So any, any, you know, your experience uh, – in optometry and, and vision rehab, um, if, if people's vision appointments are getting spread out a little bit more than, than maybe they used to, any tips for how people can can uh, look out for any any early warning signs of vision problems that might happen in between those appointments? Absolutely. So for those with macular degeneration, uh, you, almost everybody has an Amsler grid at home. So definitely check that regular regularly each eye. In each eye, um, but the main thing is just uh, pay attention to your function. If you're reading, if you're, if things get blurrier, if things, if um, the words and the letters appear like they're broken or missing, or parts of it's missing, then you know that there's a change. Um, if you notice that your distance vision is slightly changing, if you have difficulty seeing in different intense, different uh, lighting situations, those are things to pay attention to. Those are areas to pay attention to. Dr. Prasad, I, you know, I think it's understandable that some people that people may be a little anxious about going to their appointments particularly ones that might be in a you know a larger medical setting so just wondering kind of your experience in uh in your clinic and with your colleagues over the last um seven months um are these concerns of of um you know ca- catching the virus are those are those um reasonable or is there, what are some of the steps that you and others have taken yeah no it is reasonable um anytime that you have you know, large number of people or more people in an indoor environment, yeah, the risks do increase. However, um, we had done an internal study where they looked at the transmission or they looked at the um, exposure rates among providers, and it actually turned out to be pretty low. And what they found was um, that as long as you're masked and the patient's masked and the exposure is of less time, the risks are still very low. So, yes, the, you know, there is I can completely understand the reasons of concern, but we are taking every precaution. We have the proper PPE. Most providers do. Um, the, the environment is, are, are, you know, the, um, there's cleanliness happening. We're wiping down everything, and um, the waiting areas are not as crowded because we've removed chairs. So you're not going to be crowded in with a lot of people as may have happened previously. Mm-hmm. Well, great, and and I know that that. All like quite quite abruptly, uh, many Americans started doing doing telemed appointments, and that mm-hmm. was you know a big a big change for a lot of people. I was wondering, yeah. from your experience, how do you think uh, telemed is going? It's actually um, going very well. Mo- there are many departments that 
still that use it regularly and consistently. Uh, some providers are doing it twice a week. I've had several um, telemedicine appointments myself. Um, in eye care, you know, it, it varies. Um, I can say for myself that I'm doing most, like almost 100% of my patient care in office as opposed to telemed. But for those individuals who are afraid to come in and, you know, I have functional issues and questions, I do reach out to them or I do have a, um, a telephone visit or a video visit to address their needs. Any However, tips for people to make a telemed go better? Um, so for someone who is blind and visually blind or visually impaired, I would would recommend having somebody with them if it's at all possible, so they can help set up the video visit. Phone visits obviously are easier because it's just a um, a call. But if there could be somebody with them to help them uh, to help facilitate, I think that would make it the, the uh, video visit quicker. And also to let your doctor's office know that you are visually impaired, so they'll know that ahead of time and help help uh, assist you as needed. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Those are good advice. And uh, we've got a few interesting questions uh, about um, you know, some of the, the points you made about uh, independence and, and uh, life around the, the home. Um, uh, a caller from Florida is wondering, um, in terms of buying a reading light, are there particular types of reading lights or nature of the the um, the, the bulbs or something? What makes a good the best reading light? Yeah, it's believe it. It's actually. Um, specific to the patient because everybody's needs are different, but I can tell you what my um, what I found to be most helpful is using just a basic architect's lamp. So a lamp with a hood, so you have direct light, positioning it on the on the side you can see as close, you know, pretty close to the paper. So you want a direct light as opposed to a diffuse light. And many tend to do better with a warmer tones as opposed to the cooler tones. So instead of something that's bright LED like the fluorescence that they have, um, you know, choosing something that's uh, warmer. So now the LED bulbs they have, um, they come also come in different um, different uh, tones. I, I would I would say different color uh, color temperatures temperatures. I'm sorry, and um, you know, going to the warmer shades and the Kelvin equivalent, the color temperature equivalent would be about 2700 as opposed to going to something that's more bluer, which is a little bit higher. And as far as um, the brightness of it, about the 1,100 um, uh, lumens, as opposed to previously it would be about 75, the equivalent of 75 watts. Well, great. And related to that, we have a uh, listener from Kansas uh, looking for tips on how to best see uh, their tablet or computer screen. Uh, okay. That can be challenging at times because it also depends on your level of acuity too. So um, it depends on how well you're seeing. So someone who has a little bit less of an impairment will see it a little bit better versus someone who has um, a little bit more of an impairment. Um, I What I would probably recommend doing is um, the next time you're at your doctor's, either your you know, one of your eye doctors, if you have an optometrist or a low vision specialist, is take your tablet with them, with you, and mm -hmm. let them know that you're having difficulties. And sometimes they can find a pair of glasses that could help focus it better. But it all depends on what your level of impairment is um, and also what you want to see, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea to bring it, bring it to your appointment. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. a lot of these, these, these uh, issues, you know, are are rooted in the, the, the challenges of, of isolation that many people feel. Yeah. And I, I, my understanding is that you, uh, you've you created and run uh, support groups for, for people with low vision. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about 
you know, what you do and how you think that could be helpful. Oh, absolutely. So a uh, couple years ago, we had decided to start a vision loss support group, and that's the title. And when um, we were putting it together, a lot of questions came up of about of who would benefit from it? What group of people? Do we want people with severe vision loss? Do we want people with moderate? Do we want just macular degeneration? Do we want just glaucoma? Because different levels of vision, um, is you know, people who have different levels of vision have different needs that, than others um, when compared with others. And also people with uh, different um, diseases have different needs. So we decided that we couldn't keep anyone away, so we just left it open for everybody. And it's been running for about three years now. It's extremely successful. We we run it uh, once a month. It was in person um, prior to the pandemic, and now we're doing it virtually. And uh, basically, most of the people call over the phone um, mm -hmm. as opposed to doing it uh, through video. Mm -hmm. So it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful way for people to connect. We've had a lot of new members, and I think we're up to about 90 registered members. But there's usually about 20 to 30, uh, about 20 or so who call in. Um, but yeah, we've only had positive things because one of uh, one thing is everybody learns from each other, so it's very helpful um, for people who've joined the group and who've never had um, been connected with others. Great, mm -hmm. right. and I think that that. Um you know, those uh, virtual um, options really open up opportunities for people in rural areas because I know in, in uh, for people with low vision in a rural area, it seems like there's quite a few challenges. What You know, I know Pennsylvania has the, the vast expanse between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And so in your experience, uh, any, any tips for people um, in rural areas in terms of isolation and receiving treatment and, you know, daily life? Um, yeah, so for people in rural areas, the most important thing to do is connect, obviously, with their provider. So I'm hoping that there there is an do eye doctor that they see on a regular basis that's somewhat nearby to them. And then also connecting with any of, uh, with the state agency, too, because the state agency has chapters and people in the different areas that, um, that they serve. Um, and also to know, to find out whether their providers or low vision providers do provide telehealth services, because that's been really up and coming. I know the VA has um, piloted a uh, program with telemedicine and low vision, too, which has been pretty successful. Great. And, um, you know, a key part of all this is driving. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, a very you know ba basic question that I think is on a lot of people's minds: When you get AMD, do you lose your driver's license? Not all the time. Now, it depends on the level. It depends on where you live too. Depends on how you're seeing. Every state has requirements for uh, for vision for driving. Some have um, some also incorporate the peripheral vision. And as mm -hmm. we know that with macular degeneration, you don't lose your peripheral vision, so you'll never you'll always have that. Um, however, your central vision is what, what tends to matter, and that varies on state. So people who are in the early stages whose vi vision isn't reduced should not be discouraged, uh, but the best thing is to dis discuss that with your, with your doctor. Yeah, no, that's that's good. No, and that, I think that just really strikes to the core of, mm -hmm. uh, of, in of independence. And uh, uh, Dr. Prasad, we had a, a listener wondering, are there any specific devices that could help somebody with night driving? Oh, um, 
with night driving, that's a tough one. There is a device called a bioptic, uh, which is a distance telescope um, that's mounted onto a pair of glasses. Um, it's not for everybody, and it's not in every state. So, and it may or may not be used for driving. So I can't answer that actually. If there is a specific device just for driving, yeah. unfortunately, that, that, yeah, that's, very, that's a tough yeah. one. No, that's a, that's a, no, the driving's real tough. In your um, support support groups with your patients, have you ever had to um, have provide some assistance to a family member to maybe initiate uh, conversations? Because I would think this would be an extraordinarily difficult conversation uh, for a family to have. So any tips for people on either side of that conversation? Oh, absolutely. I address that all the time. I've had people who, individuals who were very accepting and knew it was coming and were okay with it. And they've already had plans, um, you know, to make alternative arrangements. Then I had the other extreme where I've had people cry. I've had people scream at me. So it's it's a tough one. Um, but I address it. I think family members need to also address it because there's a lot at risk when somebody does not meet the, meet the requirements. And the best thing to do is discuss it with the doctors, discuss it with the primary doctor, um, discuss, discuss it with the eye doctor. And it's just something that I don't think anyone should should um, hopefully shy away from. Yeah, no, I agree. The consequences yeah. are the con are, yeah. are very yeah. severe. But I, I just think of some uh, people that I know in my life that are just so proud yeah. to be independent, yeah. and yeah. that that yeah. that giving up the keys would be you know would be a, just a really really hard hard conversation. Yeah. But yeah. that's yeah. you know sometimes life requires conversations sure. like that. Sure, but there's also um, and a lot of alternative means of transportation, especially in this day and age between, you know, ride shares, um, Uber, Lyft, you know, public transportation in certain areas. Um, a lot of the states and counties have um, medical transportation um, for people with, uh, who, who can't drive or can't get to their appointments. So that's always something to look into as well. That's great. And again, it, it just keeps re keeps reinforcing, I think, a major yeah. theme of today's conversation about ask for help. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and then there, yeah. there, there are good resources out there. Um, uh, one, uh, you know, all across the country, we have a week to go till Election Day. Um, any tips for, for people with vision impairment about, um, you know, getting getting themselves to the polls and, and, and making sure they, they're able to um, to vote? easily and, 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 you know, without risk of making error. Um, any sort of big picture advice about voting over the next week or so? Yeah, absolutely. So if there's any questions or doubts, you can get in touch with the county um, elections office and the state election office. Um, this year, they've, there's a big voting, um, voter push. Um, there's a lot of things set in place for people with um, visual, vision impairment and other disabilities as well. Um, if you're voting in person, um, the, some states have um, voting booths that are um, that have, I think, large. They've got uh, large ballots on them, and then also with headphones and um, audio too. But again, it varies based on the state. Uh, there's a number of um, resources out there too. There's a app called Be My Eyes, which is available on the iPhone and um, the Android. So this app connects the user, the visually impaired user, with a virtual um, volunteer who acts as their eyes. So uh, they help them through the camera uh, see 
do any type of assigned to task, whether it's see a sign, whether it's like read their mail. Um, but this year, BMI Eyes has connected with a website called vote.org that can help um, individuals with their voting, with any voting issues or questions that they have. And another resource is um, through the American Association of People with Disabilities, AAPD, um, that has a wonderful uh, site where they've linked all of anything and everything that has that I feel that has to do with voting and people with disabilities, you know. But well, um, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh no, no, I was going to say. Um, and the other thing is also, um, if you haven't brought in your ba ballot yet, um, you know, I, I would recommend probably uh, dropping it off in the Dropbox rather than putting it in the mail. Um, I would bring a trusted friend with you, a trusted someone with you. Um, to bring you over uh, to bring you there. Well, great. Now, those are great, yeah. great tips, and obviously, it's just one of the most important parts of yeah. parts of being a citizen is to vote. And I think this is really helpful tips, mm -hmm. so people, you know, don't, uh, you know, can continue to exercise that right regardless of regardless of their health. Um, but, uh, a, a question from a listener, uh, you know, about some of the the, the technologies that are available. Uh, the listener is wondering: Are you familiar with uh, a technology that can scan? written text and then play it back uh, in an audio manner? Yes. Um, are they referring, well, it depends. If they're referring to something on an app, on a phone, like there's apps that do that. Um, mm -hmm. There's an app called KNFIB Reader. So the Kurzweil National Federation for the Bund, KNFB, I'm sorry, KNFB Reader. Uh, that's an app that's available on the phone. There's a device called um, the OrCam which is uh, the small little camera that attaches to a pair of glasses that can scan a document and read it to you. Um, there's something called the MyReader. There's a lot of technology that's out there. Well, that's great. And then uh, another uh, listener is wondering, in your, um, in your work with um, vision therapy, is there any, are you able to restore people's vision, make things better, or, or is it more a function of not, having your patient's vision get worse? Like, how do you, sort of, what are some of the, you know, ranges or definitions of success yeah. uh, in, your, so, in your work? So, so when it comes to um, training and therapy of the low vision patient, it is not restoring the vision at all. It's not re restoration of vision. It is using whatever vision they have remaining, using whatever uh, other senses that they have, and optimizing that, trying to make it more functional. Uh, can any of that work on a printed text? Like if I, you know, if I had the newspaper in front of me, or did, are there technologies like that, or are they more uh, based off of screen reading? Which one? The um, you mean the like if somebody had like a physical newspaper in front of them, are there any? Yes. Uh, yes. For tips or type of glasses or anything that could help that person? It depends on their level of acuity and um, their condition too. Yeah. yeah. So there's, you know, there's high powered reading glasses, there's magnifiers, there's these um, text to speech readers. There's a number of, uh, number of options available, but again, it depends on um, the level of acuity, their, their um, diagnosis and also what they want to see. Great. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of good, good, good tips out there, yeah. uh, good technologies. Um, Dr. Prasad, just kind of in, in closing, I was wondering, you know, you say you've been, you've been in this field for a few decades. Are there sort of overarching things that you've learned or one piece of advice 
that you that you'd like to share with with our audience today? Um, yeah. So I honestly the biggest thing that I've learned in my career is that I feel my patients have been my best teachers actually. So I've learned uh, so much through them, which and I'm able to share that with with others that I've come across. And the advice that I would give, um, you know, give individuals with uh, with visual impairments is that most importantly, stay vo- be vocal and stay vocal, and stay connected with people and let them know how you're feeling, and um, and also to know that there's resources and help available. It's- well, that's great. I think that is great advice, um, particularly as we head into the the pandemic and uh, uh, and, and the, all the the weather and and, and light changes of of this um, that, that come with the season. Again, I think just the point that 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 you've made so well today about asking for help and that there are resources out there, but it's sort of often incumbent upon you to to, to make the first step to to sort of figuratively raise your hand. I think that's just just a great a great point for us to uh, to take away from from the discussion. And to our audience, we will be back. November 18th uh, with the next Bright Focus chat. And we're going to talk about geographic atrophy and what are some of the, the current treatment options and uh, more importantly, what are, what are some of the things that scientists are, are working on that they're very hopeful about that could improve the, the way treatment is done for people who are impacted by geographic atrophy. And so to our audience, just want to remind you, if you're interested in that AMSLA grid that Dr. Prasad mentioned uh, or our safety in the older driver um, uh, brochure. Simply let us know. And also, Bright Focus works with a lot of national organizations to educate people about the challenges of low vision. And a lot of times we like to share people's stories, uh, their experiences, thinking that maybe that, that may provide some, some guidance or, or, or support, a sense of not being alone with others. So if you have um, experience uh, with, with age-related vision disease that you think might be helpful, uh, for, for others to hear. Uh, just leave us your name and, and phone number after, after the tone and, and we'll get back to you. And um, so Dr. Prasad, I just want to thank you so much. You're just, just a, a very, very positive um, and, and a lot of very specific uh, uh, tips to help us through low vision during the pandemic and low vision during, during the winter. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so always a, always a great conversation with you, Dr. Prasad. And on behalf of Bright Focus and, and uh, Dr. Ranju Prasad at the University of Pennsylvania, thank you very much for, for joining us, and uh, thank you for your great questions. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.